Let's pray before we get into this morning's message. Heavenly Father, we pray that you go before me, Lord, that your words would be my words, that you would be glorified through all that I say, that the saints would be edified and called to their calling, Lord, that we would walk in faith and know what we have in you, Lord. We thank you for giving us everything pertaining to life and godliness, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. So we're going to continue our current sermon series, Things Christians Say. And the quote that I want to focus on today is that something Christians say all the time. You just have to have faith. So the title of this morning's message is going to be How Faith Lives. And I'm going to be challenging us in that regard. I would like to open up my message with a quote from Henry James, one of the greatest novelists in the English language. He said, Life is in fact a battle. Evil is insolent and strong. Beauty enchanting but rare. Goodness very apt to be weak. Folly very apt to be defiant. Wickedness to carry the day. Imbeciles to be in great places. People of sense in small. And mankind generally unhappy. But the world as it stands is no narrow illusion, no phantasm, no evil dream of the night. We wake up to it again and again forever, and we can never forget it, neither deny it, nor dispense with it. You see, this is an important quote because I think we would all agree that life is a battle. That more often than not, evil seems stronger than goodness. Beauty is fleeting. It's enchanting, but it's rare. Goodness seems weak. The fools are defiant in their stupidity, and wickedness seems to be evident all around us. And yes, I don't believe I need to go on to great lengths about the imbeciles that are in great places. And of course, mankind being generally unhappy. We are not to rest content with this reality. However, as the end of that quote notes, we can neither forget the world as we can neither forget the world as it is. We can neither deny it nor dispense with it. We must deal with it. Our faith is not an excuse. Our faith is a way of dealing with the world as it is. In our talking last week about the call to be in the world but not of the world, I pray that I challenged each of us to think through in almost any given situation, how has the world or the multitudes chosen to deal with it? And then, of course, how are we as Christians called to deal with it? What wisdom do we have to share? You see, this past Sunday was all Saint, well, today is All Saints Sunday, but this past week we celebrated All Saints Day. And on that day, I began to challenge myself and ask myself, what is something or a characteristic that all saints are called to have, all those that are sanctified in and through Jesus Christ? Obviously, the first thing that came to mind was faith. Because without faith, as the scriptures reveal, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we must define faith. And in my average understanding or my searching out the meaning, I have come to the understanding of faith as trust. A faithful God is a trustworthy God. And there my faith is a trust in a trustworthy God. Faith is a defining characteristic of the saints. Again, let me remind you, without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
I would contend that the lack of faith, even after being shown through miraculous wonders, is akin to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Something we know through Scripture that no man can be forgiven of. When you are given every evidential sign possible, miraculous gifts and all that were there evident in the first century, and you decide to still speak against the very notion of a faithful God, that is indeed a lack of faith, that is no faith, and that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You see, I want to bring us forward in how does faith live, and I want to take us first to Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. And in that psalm it says this, You will make known to me, O Lord, the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand... There are pleasures forevermore. Saints, do we believe these words? That our Lord, our God, will make known to us the paths of life. That in His presence is the fullness of joy. And that by His power, by His right hand, we are given pleasures forevermore. Do we believe this, church? Because we must. If our faith is going to be anything... We must trust in these words. We must trust that our God will lead us in the paths of life, that He will lead us, that His presence is the fullness of the joy that we seek, and that His power has opportunity to grant to us pleasures forevermore. And then, of course, another verse that is very popularly used Psalm chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 30, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be given to you. And I would say that all those things that are being given to you are the things that are highlighted there in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. The things that most men seek after. So yes, with this in mind, with these two passages that I just brought before us, I believe that it is God's intent through his spirit that our faith in his purposes will lead us in life He will establish his presence among his people. He will give us the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And that in our seeking of his kingdom, his kingdom, which is defined there in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, as love, peace and righteousness in the Holy Spirit, that through seeking those things, we will be given all things. So I ask you, church, what are the all things that you're praying for? What do you desire? For me, I would say I desire for all to come to the right knowledge of God. The true knowledge of God, as we see exemplified there in Scripture. So how shall I, as one, we're going to use my, my all things this morning, sorry to be selfish, but my all things is that I desire for all men to come to the true knowledge of God. So how shall I look to the future? Let's face it, when we look out at the world, that doesn't always seem to be what the, real, the realistic view is going to be. It doesn't seem that everybody is out there searching To find the right God, it seems that more often than not, people are more inclined, again, the wickedness within each and every one of us, more inclined to make up an image of God in our own image. They say God made man in his image and man returned the favor. But what I do think fair is to note, one thing I want to note right at the beginning of this, is that to be a grumbler, to be a defeatist, and not to see the things that I'm hoping for as possible, that has no place in common with faith. Worst yet, these anti-Christian attitudes, yes, we're going to identify the defeatist and the grumbler as anti-Christian. 
And those anti-Christian attitudes do not affect our, only our views of the future. They affect our everyday lives. Let's look at some examples of how a perspective of faith in God might affect us in our everyday life. So I take you to this past week where we celebrated Halloween. And I want to challenge you to think, how does the world live? How did the world live on Halloween? The world went about getting candy, enjoying their time, trick-or-treating, maybe going to parties. How some Christians chose to live was to sit and be obstinate against an idolatrous holiday, Halloween, the worship of Samahain. Meanwhile, half of our culture has no idea who Samahain is and could care less. And then I ask you, the third way, how does faith live? Because I'll challenge you that faith does not live as some of those defeatist, grumbling Christians who decided that they were going to take up Halloween as a way to protest. The world isn't paying attention to that. I mentioned last week in my sermon that our call as Christians, being in the world and not of the world, is to be like salt. Is to be different, of course, but to magnify the flavor. Here, I had spoke last week about the vestigia day, a Latin phrase for the traces of God, the different things that are seen all throughout our creation that we as Christians are called to magnify because the world will not do that. The world will not magnify the things of God. The world will set itself up on grumbling and defeatists against God. A lack of caring about God. And me sitting on the sidelines, grumbling and yelling as, I, as I've been defeated in the, the worship of this idolatrous holiday, does my God no good. And that is not how faith lives. Faith says, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to magnify my God, and I'm going to pray that my prayers will be answered, that men will come to that true knowledge of God. We also know that it's Reformation Day. The world doesn't know that. Some Christians, I guess, have chose to ignore that. Or don't allow that to overshadow the worship of pagans. Why don't we exemplify that October 31st is Reformation Day? It's a day for us to challenge ourselves. It's a day for us to see what reformations are needed in our lives. Because Martin's, Martin Luther's reformation started with himself. What reformation is needed in my life? What reformation is needed in the church? What reformation would I like to see in the world? And I did exactly that this year. And I thought it was very encouraging that after I wrote those things down, the very next day, All Saints Day, which again, the world doesn't know anything about the saints, could care less. The average Christian wants to grumble against the Catholic tradition of All Saints Day. Faith chooses to use this day to say in Hebrews chapter 12, which we're going to look at, that now I have a surrounding of saints. I have witnesses and influences that have been there since the beginning of time that are surrounding me, that will encourage me to keep my faith, to remove the sins that hinder me from walking in the faith that I know I am called to live in. All Souls Day. The world, again, could care less. Average Christian wants to argue against the Catholic, you know, the Catholic tradition and all of these different things. Argue about whether the soul is a part of man, the soul is the entire man. Faith doesn't live like that. Faith says... My God will make known to me the paths of life. My job as a Christian is to be the salt of the earth, to be a city on a hill, 
to display the glories of my God, to bring out the vestigia day. We look to election day. Of course, this should challenge each and every one of us. How does the world live? The world doesn't care about godly values. The world doesn't care about the things that Christians are seeking to see exalted in the earth. Some Christians have chosen to grumble, give up. Maybe they've put all of their stock in politics. Neither of those are our way of doing it. Our way of doing it, again, at how faith lives, it says, well, I know that if I, I become convicted, if I uh, walk worthy of the instruction that has been given to me, the love from a pure heart to obtain a good conscience and to have a sincere faith, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. <coughs> if I believe that, I'm going to go out and I'm going to allow my witness to be worth it. And I'm going to go and I'm going to go to the polls and I'm going to vote having faith that, again, my God will make known to me the path of life, that in my God's presence is the fullness of joy, that in his right hand, in his power, is pleasure forevermore. And that if I seek first his kingdom, and if I seek first his righteousness, all things will be given to me. I could go on and on. Veterans Day, how the world lives. We see many trashing the veterans in this country, putting the veterans to shame in this country, protesting funerals of veterans. How ugly. Some Christians choose to join in that. Some Christians choose to ignore it. We need to be that middle ground. We need to say, how does faith live? How does seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness affect veterans? Thanksgiving, the world, they're out there just partying it up, celebrating with family, maybe ignoring the existence of God. Some Christians choose to create all kinds of squabbles about Thanksgiving. How faithless is. Maybe we do need to go out there and have some of those hard conversations about Thanksgiving and the traditions that are behind it. Maybe we do need to get out there and use that day to talk about things honestly and bring forth love and celebrate and fellowship with our families. And then we look to the Christmas season. We know the world loses their mind around this season. Some Christians choose to lament it and disregard everything. And I say what we do is we get out there and we do our job of showing that there's pleasures in the power of our God. That his presence is the ultimate joy and that he will make known to us the paths of life. How does faith live? Faith trusts God for his blessings and knows and recognizes and praises him for all that we have in him. Allowing this to be our focus in life. Bringing out the blessings of God to bear upon all things for the common good. That's how faith lives. Let's take a look at our text this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start here at that last verse, verse 39. And I want to give you a little bit of context about the book of Hebrews. <coughs> this letter, regardless to the, excuse my coughing, um, this letter, regardless to whatever author you believe wrote it, again, there's so many arguments there, we know that this letter was written during the first century to Hebrew Christians. Those who had come from the time of Abraham forward, that were of that descendant of Abraham, and they had held to the law, believed that the glories of God were shown through the law, but now a greater glory was there. And, or a better glory, to illustrate the context there of the book of Hebrews. Many times you see that word better. And the book of Hebrews is magnifying a better glory, a better covenant, a better Messiah, a better king, a better sacrifice. 
And it's being written to these Hebrew Christians to encourage them to keep their faith and to run the race and not go back to the Judaic system, that old covenant system, what they were used to, what they were, you know, that which was waxing old and growing old and was ready to vanish away in that generation. You've seen that in chapters before Hebrews chapter 8. So here, beginning right here at this point, Hebrews chapter 10, it says, But we are not of those, verse 39, who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. We are not like those who go backwards. We are of those who have faith, who have this enduring trust that can only come from God to the preserving of the entire being. Now faith, because again, your question would be, well, what is that faith? Explain that faith to me. And continuing here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Hold on to that. Assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. My trust in God is the assurance in things hoped for. What he has already shown me, how he has already built up my faith and secured me me in him. Just as Jesus said that I and the Father are one that they may be one with us. I've experienced that and that is my assurance of the things that I hope for from my God. That is the conviction of the things that I cannot see. We see in another writing, the Apostle Paul says that we as Christians are called to call things as though they are, even if they are not. Things that are not as though they are, we call them into motion because we have faith in our God. For by faith, men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Through which, he obtained, through which he obtained the better testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, Though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found but because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And here's that verse I've been alluding to all morning. And without faith, verse 6, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Again, that's where you circle that. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. Matthew chapter 5, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. You circle those texts. And you say, I must believe that he is. And I must believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going to a place which he was to receive an inheritance and went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. There it is. Therefore, there was born even to one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable of as sand which is by the seashore. All of these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
Preferably, we all know that city is the new covenant. The glorious reality of the new Jerusalem being provided from God, coming out of heaven from God in Revelation chapter 21. By faith, verse 17, Abraham, when he was told and tested to offer up Isaac, who he had received as the promise, and he would offer him up as his only begotten son, it was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. We see this as a type of Christ. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each one of his sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than the enjoyment of the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. It would have been so much easier to trust in the riches of Egypt, amen? But by faith, he knew that there was a better thing happening. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he would not be destroyed, nor with the firstborn. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. Catch the power of that. I don't believe they stepped and it was dry right away. Again, it was water and they stepped and it turned into dry land. Didn't seem possible. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had him encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the harlot, did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yet also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn to two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and in holes and grounds. And in all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us, these first century saints here, these Hebrew Christians, that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. God and his providential plan. So when we sit down and we think about how to react to the issues in our world and how we are called to live as those of faith, This should be a text that we read and we say, faith is a big thing. These men did all of this by faith and then continues. And I love therefores. Therefore, now that we know we have all of these saints that have done all of these amazing things. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, and this is only a short list. This is what we might call the whole of faith. Since we have a cloud of witnesses around us, let us lay aside every encumbrance or distraction or burden and sin, every area of missing the mark. 
all these things which easily entangle us and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Again, I know that when I say that, I say, well, I have faith in setting the race before me. How? Despair seems so easy. Confusion seems so easy. Notice here, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Look to Jesus. We're talking about preserving the entire being here, the entire man. Let us lay aside every encumbrance, every sin that so easily entangles us and look to the joy before us. Look to what our faith provides. Look to things that are not as though they are and call them into motion because that's the faith we are called to live. Our grow and go this week is going to be that without faith it is impossible to please God. That faith is a godly trust that he is And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This should make us a joyful and blessed people. A people who have been blessed and are a blessing. We must go out into the world with this mindset. We must be aware of the need and the call for this mindset. We must encourage this mindset. And rebuke anything that comes up against it as a burden a distraction, or missing the mark. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that it is only to looking to you that we can ever experience such a faith. It is only looking to you that we can experience the joy of knowing the path has been set before us. It is only in looking to you, Lord, that we know all things will be provided. Continue to build up that trust in us, Lord, as we look to you, as we grow in all things that build up our faith. Allow us to see this faith at work, Lord. Allow us to be a people that seek goodness everywhere, and when it is found, to bring it out of its hiding place, and to let it be free and unashamed. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.